Good evening, fellow Gooners, and welcome to another episode of Canon Talk. I'm yours, Mona, and my co-host as usual, Aiden. How's it, guys? At least we have some fo- football to look forward to, even though uh, we don't watch Bundesliga. Like, even though those guys don't watch Bundesliga, I'm sure there's excitement creeping in just to watch some sort of live sport coming up. Funny enough, it actually started for me last weekend already when I, when I watched UFC 249 and it was actually quite exciting, even if it was like, you know, uh, without a crowd. But, you know, just to have some sort of live sport, you know, up and running, you know, so I mean, actually a great feeling, a great sensation. Um, that being said, yes, Bundesliga is uh, starting this coming weekend. And then, like, uh, with, a, with more news now, slowly, you know, was like dripping out, not really coming out in full. But um, Serie A starting June 13th. That is now almost like locked in now. And then the Premier League is now set for June the 19th for starting. Uh, how do they plan on squeezing all the fixtures in there? There's still going to be an FA Cup involved as well. I don't look, I, I think it's just, you know, just to sort of, um, you know, like start somewhere. I think it's more based on that, just to make some sort of start. I think. Other than that, you know, the powers that be, they will probably, you know, almost like start feeding us as the, the uh, you know, the coming days or coming weeks go as we close in on that, that day. Uh, it's just, it seems such a long time away, but before you know it, we'll be watching it. It's going to be weird without um, any crowds, but I read, a, I read an article on the murder. Um, they said that with, if the vaccine of the virus is not found anytime soon, they will play. They'll continue playing the the like follow next season um, behind closed doors and like even the like the clubs are going to be taking a lot a large knock on that, especially even the the TV um, companies want to want to rebate as well because having a crowd there as well adds to the atmosphere. Yeah, but I mean, uh, I, look, I, like I've been saying this for weeks now people must also be careful of you know what you're reading because it's not like these journalists are having people that are actually sitting you know with these guys that are i'm not talking now of say the uh, higher hierarchy at the at the fa or the like or at fifa or uefa so they're almost like at times making assumptions as to what oh how it's going to play and of course it, it, it sells papers it gets clicks and i mean at times it can also be almost like negative also because everybody is also you know up uh, like everyone's like ready to go now like especially now with this kind of date that's locked in now everybody's like looking forward to that day and now you know when you have this like the media that's almost like every uh every say three or four days they're throwing a span in the works again and everybody going to sort of mass hysteria again with how things are going to go and I mean, i'm of course it's my my own Thinking, and I mean, I'm playing it cool actually, how it's going out or playing out at, at the moment. And I mean, I also have faith in, you know, whether it's uh, the football associations or, you know, those that are now running the show with, with this pandemic also. I actually have faith in them in that also. So, I mean, I'm letting it play out like that. Yeah, but uh, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how the, the, the season will unfold. I mean, we're going to be in June, which is the summer break time and you're going to have probably two months of games squeezed in probably two weeks or three weeks, something like that, probably. I'm, like, what I've also 
I think what's interesting me also more is like, um, are you going to run, you know, so that you have the seasons running, like we know it, you know, it runs from August to May. So I wonder, because yeah, I think somewhere down the line, they're going to have to work out something where the football cycle has to run on par again, like we all know it. And I mean, every, every country runs their leagues differently, like whether it's Europe, the Americas, uh, Africa, the Australasia area and Asia. So you actually wonder how like everybody gets in in, in almost like on par again with, with the season. Like you know, we have your as you said now, we would have been now in that first we almost like approaching the first part of the footballers' summer holidays. Yeah, I think next season we'll probably maybe start you know, I know we're talking far along ahead, but maybe probably depending on the ends, we'll probably get a two month break. But in that, there will probably be fixtures being squeezed in left, right and centre yeah, yeah. because of the Euros happening as well. So Because you, you can't postpone the Euros another year because it's the World Cup yeah, as yeah. well. So it's a case of do you cancel the Euro completely or do you squeeze that in and then the footballers have to play like almost another extended season the following year with the World Cup and qualifiers in between. Yeah, it's yeah. going to be really crazy... Um, I'm sure a lot of betting companies will be making money with all the soccer that's going to be coming up in the next year. Or, you know, something like we're going to have a, a scenario where it's going to be also based on, on seedings where if they can't really decide or squeeze in, um, you know, qualifiers, as you mentioned, of course, it's going to probably be maybe unfair to some, but maybe it's going to work down to, you know, that, that coefficient things where they say, okay, this is not going to be based on say, FIFA rankings or UEFA rankings, and that's how the thing will be decided. Uh, it's, it's a, a lot is up in the air at the moment, but I guess only as time time will tell, and like you said, just remain calm and just see what the FA, FIFA, UEFA all come up with to try to come with a logical like solution with everything. I don't know what I'm actually grateful for. Most of the, the football associations all over at the moment, I could say, they are, you know, having press releases. They are now keeping people up to date with how things are going on. And what we mentioned a few weeks back, where we said, like, you know, kind of don't keep us in the dark constantly as football fans. Try to just, even if you're giving us, say, once, or I think you also mentioned, you know, once every, say, 14 days or whatever, just let people know, okay, where we stand, what's going on. Yeah, it's, I think they probably listened to our podcast and decided to let the fans know. So back to Arsenal news. Um, I don't know if you've heard now this whole thing about Danny Ceballos. It looks now, I wouldn't say now all set in it, but he's in. He did now in, uh, interview in one of the Span- Spanish sports outlets, and there was not talk of, you know, his mind is all set now to, you know, like try to win his place again over at, at Madrid. And oh. I, but, I, but, I, but I also think. You know, before I now switch the, the, the mic to you, uh, I also think it's down to he probably also senses that he will not be really not Tetris plans. Uh, uh, that's just like a gut feeling that I'm getting. Yeah, I, I, I thought you were going to tell me uh, his mind was set on staying for Arsenal, but uh, it, it'll be a, uh, they wouldn't say it'll be a massive blow, but you know, he started doing quite well in a deeper role. Yeah. But, you know, I guess Arsenal need to beefen up that uh, middle of the park anyway with somebody that 
could do the dirty work and as well somebody that can you know drive the team forward because Torreira does a good job at shielding the defense but he's not going to drive your team forward like uh you know I'm an example Yaya Torre or Patrick Vieira someone that caught my eye in that position and I know his team hasn't been doing well so that the core of Watford yeah I mean he's always been Somebody that's like for me also Premier League ready if, if he goes now say to another uh, side. But look, with that whole quite a lot of this this talk has been now quite rife, whether it's British or Spanish media about you know Thomas Party of Atletico joining us possibly. Um, I, you know, with with that player, from what I've seen, look, he's now. You know, holding player that can at times be, you know, creative if he needs to be. But, I mean, he's also quite disciplined and sits in his role. I mean, especially if you play for, say, someone like Simeone, you have to be. But I was just thinking, you know, if you're going to have something like that in, then why not? I mean, that could be a bit controversial, what I'm going to say, but then why not say let someone like Shaka go? Because if you think the style of play of Shaka, which is quite slow and laborious at times, and I mean, if, if he doesn't get that, you know, that opportunity when uh, it's a game that, that's um, more compact, he's not going to really be able to thread that, that expensive passes that we've been always talking to about. Sometimes it comes off fine, but most of the teams already are wise to that, so they don't give him really that, that sort of space to do that. So you actually wonder, is it like, beneficial to have something like that if you already have, you know, so many players that are similar to that, but are somewhat, you know, quicker with a ball. I think the uh, likes of Thomas Potter as well is the fact that he probably has had more legs in him to get across the field quicker, to, you know, take a tackle. He could be in the middle of the park. Next thing he's sliding at, you know, a left-back position, tackling somebody or closing down. So I think he adds more legs in the Arsenal team, which we've been missing uh, a guy that can, you know, do that role. I mean, Santi was a little guy, but he did that quite well, linking up our... Yeah. Uh, defense from the midfield to attack so maybe this is the missing link we need I mean I think it's just two players I mean we mentioned previously uh, Xavi Alonso and company which Arsenal could have signed which we've missed out on for you know twiddling our thumbs but you know with regards to now you know as we're not talking about players that are you know on the radar at the moment and I was just thinking also if if you have say someone like Thomas Partey and you maybe have Say someone like Quintosi, who has the talent to be a solid DM, if he, if you know, if need be. But I think, of course, he just needs that that more discipline, and that will come in time with Arteta, since we know he really, you know, keeps a thumb on on Quintosi at the moment. So I just wonder if, if say that too can mold themselves into some sort of, you know, whether either rotated or at times maybe used in as a pay, you know, no, you know, where we. Quindosi can be used as a, as a more creative midfielder, which, I mean, give him props. He does have that, that eye for a killer pass. He does have that, that, that eye also to drive at, at teams when, when teams are tiring. So I just wonder if you can use them in tandem sometimes, or sometimes where you just have the one player and then you have, say, extra two midfielders in the middle of the park. Yeah, I guess, you, you know, with, with those two, depending on your position, you can use them either as a partnership or, like, you know, the one taking over from the other, depending on the opposition, because obviously each player has their strengths and weaknesses, but, you know, maybe you could play the two of them and then have, like, a proper attacking mid with Ozil. Okay, maybe you can get the best out of a guy like Ozil, because 
Um, he doesn't have to maybe track back as much. He can just do his job. He'll have kind of two bodyguards protecting him, kind of like he had back in his Madrid days. Yeah. And then, of course, with the outgoings at the moment, I think that with El Nini looks looks also locked in with a you know move away because uh, he's actually also having quite a good time or, or actually enjoying his spell now at, at uh, what was it somewhere in Istanbul he was playing. But I just think you know did that you know whatever. I mean I don't think we're gonna get a lot for him really because I think he was just on a on a big wage. So I think, you know, that's already another player off the wage ball. And then, of course, with Mkhitaryan, it looks like we will probably have to take a financial hit with that because, look, Arsenal wanted 15 million and I think Roma are probably going to give about 10 million tops. So that, you know, I think the rest of that five will probably be, you know, spread over, um, you know, his wages because, look, he did have massive wages at United and it, it even almost like filtered down into, like, you know, with us eventually. So, you know, that deal looks almost like all settled as well. So it's like, you know, two players already guaranteed out. Um, then, of course, uh, there's a, been an article about Ozil staying the season, like for next season, and then like leaving on a free. So, I mean, what's your thoughts on that? Because, I mean, I would have personally tried to rake in whatever cash I could, you know, right now. I agree with that. You know, I've always been a, like a big advocate of Ozil staying. He's a world-class player, but... I think, you know, if, if if you can have somebody that's already made his mindset up to leave, I mean, I know David, David Silva is leaving the end of this season, but, you know, I, I don't mean to slate Ozil or talk bad about him. It might be a bit controversial, but, you know, David, David Silva seems like a more professional type of guy that doesn't throw his toys out the cot and that will see out his final year, you know, with everything he's got. But like a guy like Ozil, you wonder if his head will be there knowing that, you know, whatever the outcome of this season is, it's not going to matter what happens next season because, as, like, you know, Arsenal wake the Champions League, it's not going to affect him. Or if they don't, it's not going to affect him. So you wonder if it's better, like you mentioned, to get rid of a player now so that by the time next season comes, you know, you have somebody ready-made for the position or you can plan for it because, you know, Ozil will probably have his suitors already with the big wages waiting for him. So, you know, might as well try to cash in probably, and I don't know what you would get in Ozil these days. You think 30 is too much? No, I think that's like ballpark figure. I think you can get easily between 20 and 30 for him, you know, even in between that also. But, look, I, I've gotten to a stage also now, you know, as a fan where, you know, as much as you say like a player, you like, like certain aspects of a player, you must also put your that, that sentiment aside because at the end of the day, we're all supporting the team for success. And if that means, you know, you you losing, say, uh, I wouldn't say a stalwart yet. I don't think he was really a stalwart because if you think of the, you know, lack of contribution in the last, say, two, three years or so, it's, it's not been somebody something that you can say, okay, he did that and he did that. You can actually, it was like at times, pick when, you know, on your, your hands, which games he's played absolute blinders. But that being said, I just think it comes now to the stage where Almost like on the way going forward now with, with Arteta or whoever is going to play out also in the future, you have to also start building a sort of team that can be not only ruthless, but, you know, it's a, like a hard-working team from goalkeeper right through. And and I don't mean the right through the, the squad. I'm talking of the 11 on the field and the whole bench. Everybody must be, you know, almost like vying for that spot. 
And you know, where you have that sort of, of rivalry where you see, say, the top three or top four clubs right now in the Premier League, where you have that sort of rival, rivalry where you know if the right back comes off, it's going to be another quality right back going right in there. Yeah, uh, that is that is true. Uh, like, and the thing you mentioned about Ozil as well, like, you, he's the most excitement he caused to us when he actually signed for Arsenal. You know, the fact that we're going to get a world class player and these first three seasons I found. He was quite stellar, especially the, the impact, the so-called impact he made, but probably in the dressing room to Arsenal Football Club when he just came in. And then Aaron Ramsey seemed to have thrived off him and Alexis Sanchez as well. But I feel... Giroud also, don't forget Giroud was... I mean, the Giroud, mother, yes. He applied for Giroud. was fantastic. And I mean, I'm, like for, for some reason, I'm, I'm thinking of not only that, that debut of Ozil, yes. but also that, that one game that always sticks in my head was one of the games where we beat Everton at the Emirates where it was like, you know, it was a terrible day. It was like, you know, the rain was lashing down. And I mean, in, in that miserable way, then Ozil does one of that, you know, that lofted passes. And Giroud just manages to get a few strands of hair and just flick the ball past him. Oh, up. yes. It was a 2-1 victory, I think, against... Yeah. against um, it was like a December, like late October-November game. It was a yeah. winter's... I remember that game quite clear. And I think Ozil's was probably his most prolific season in terms of assists. And we saw the best out of him. Yeah. I mean, even Alexis Sanchez, you know, he seems to have brought the best out of Alexis Sanchez. And I think Arsene Wenger let Arsenal down in that season where Arsenal went on to end second yeah. with behind Leicester, whereby he only brought in a better check to the Arsenal side. I mean, two or three more outfield player signings you know, who knows? I mean, that season was there for the taking. But I mean, with with, with Ozil now, uh, like my take is just for me, the attitude of him as a player changed drastically when he when that, that new contract came into play. Because up till then, I mean, he was contributing, he was doing, you know, at times working his backside off, even though sometimes you know the, the shoulders would drop and that. But he was always contributing something to the team, and then it's like. The, the new contract came, he became like one of the top wage earners. Alexis left, and then I mean, you didn't see that sort of fire and desire in him anymore. Yeah, I think it must have been also a better fault as well. Maybe even Alexis also had a good understanding on the pitch. And then, you know, you look at Giroud also left, I think, the same transfer window, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. So, I guess it also took a big knock to him because I think they brought almost the best out of each other, the three of them. And this is a, bit, a pity that we saw the Ozil decline like that. I mean, I don't think you'll go in the history books as, you know, the, the legendary status, but, you know, it would have been that top-class signing that came to Arsenal that, you know, added a few with that, um, um, with that assist that he's done for the club. But in your opinion, do you still think, do you think, and it's a bit of a controversial question, do you think, Fabregas was like loved more than the likes of a Mesut Ozil. Yeah, I think it was because just of that, you know, I think every game he was only like somebody that played with his heart on his sleeve, that type of player. And I mean, you remember that one game where, where I think Fabregas we had to come on, he bagged a few goals and he got injured and he gets yes. 
Aston Villa, that 3-0 when he scored that free kick yeah. and um, at Armand Rachel assisted him and he just probably just started bursting. He had scored and then he like pulled up, like he showed his hamstring, yeah. his hamstring. But it was a tight affair against the Villa side who I think beat Man United at Old Trafford a few weeks before that. And that was Arsenal also gunning for the title. It just showed we always had a good December, but the, what followed next just wasn't strong enough. And I think... You know, when, when you had, like, say, someone like Patrick Vieira, prior to that, with Fabregas, and then uh, Vieira leaves, you've got this kid, you know, almost like the, the, the player in, 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 you know, almost like, uh, well, how would you put it, you know, the, the heir to the throne. And then he's, uh, just as he's on me, that, that sort of peak that you really want him to, he, he then leaves, and it, it takes, I don't know, how many years before we now find you know, sort of gym in the middle of the park again. Uh, I think that's the biggest problem Arsenal had was like the like I think you mentioned it's like you try to hold on to a player and then you hold on and hold on and you know there's no succession plan. Like, you know, with Vieira there was Fabregas. And it's almost like Wenger threw that out the window, like the old they got and the more stubborn he got. So when Fabregas left there was a big hole in the middle and Nazri left the same window. Then you had the likes of Aaron Ramsey, who was you know, still coming back from an injury, having to do the job in the middle of the park with Arteta and Song. So, but I, yeah, but I, I mean, like, when I just go through the squad now, yeah, like, when I look at the midfield, I still think Arsenal still need somebody, you know, deadlier in the middle of the park that, that you know, plays with the heart of a lion type of thing, that type of player. Because... I mean, look, you know what you're going to get from Shaka. Of course, you see with Ozil, it, it comes in fits and starts. With with Sebayos, look, you can't really play now with him, you know, the, you know, per se. And then, of course, you've got Lucas Torreira, who's an Arteta now. He, he's starting to play a more disciplined game and, you know, more uh, solid defensive cover. And then you've got, you know, Quindosi and, and Willock. So I think you st- also are still lacking... Uh, you know, it was like a prime or play in his prime that that's in the middle of the park, or you know, a camp, something like that. Yeah, like, like, so it was like the impact that Bruno Fernandes is doing for Man United kind of thing. But I don't know, I don't know if you saw that. I think BBC put him in the team of the year after playing what five Premier League games or something. Is it standard that low? But <laughs> doing that already. Um, yeah, now just to switch our attention to the some of the, like the transfer market again. There is again now another you know, the rumors of not only that William that we've been talking about of Chelsea, you know, possibly joining on a free, but it's also that that guy from Lyon, that Bruno Guimaraes, which we you know we failed to sign him in I think it was now January, but I still don't. I mean, of course, it's now this media, of course, you know, playing. Uh, football manager again, something like that. But I, I just think it's too soon for... I don't like we kind of missed the bus with it. We could have probably signed him when we should have, say, January. But I don't think if... He's probably wanted to still prove himself in France with Lyon. So I honestly don't see any, you know, real truth to that. And then the other player that's been mentioned was also somebody that you and I probably remember from our way younger days. Uh... That Chiesa, we used to watch his father playing Serie A, and I mean now his son is eating the the big C now in Italy, 
And he's also talked about as uh, some sort of attacking midfield that could be, you know, joining up at the club, like or or Arteta has got an eye on at the moment. It seems more exciting prospects coming our way under, like you know, the Arteta regime because under Emre, you know, it, it, there's a lot of confusion always with the players you signed. Or when you did sign somebody, you were like, huh? Was that necessary? So hopefully Arteta plugs all the gaps we need. So it'll be interesting to see what Arteta comes up with. You know, when the window does open, whenever that may be now. So looking forward to seeing that. Yeah. Do you have any other pointers? Uh, I just want to ask you, you know, I always ask these questions, taking you yeah. back. So, you know, under Wenger, there was three title-winning seasons, um, the two League and Cup doubles and Invincibles. For you, what was your best one? You know, scrapping the Invincibles aside, because I know for most, that was obviously their top-notch season. But for you, what was your season you, um, you know, sticks with you in your heart first, the double in 97-98 or the double in 0102? And why? 97-98 title win. Just that, that that sort of ruthlessness that, that that team put about. I mean, you saw somewhat of that in, in 0102. And of course, uh, say the, the 0304 season, it was, you know, very everything was like, you know, workmanlike and, and things like that. Whereas with with 97-98, things we you know, we got like off to a flyer. And then it came that that middle patch where Almost like the wheels came off somewhat. I think it was could be early December. It was like and we lost the three 0 to Derby. I think it was like October, November when we lost three 0 to Derby. I think we lost to Liverpool and then Blackburn Rovers as well. And you know everybody were, were still saying you know this is uh, United's going to walk it because I think by the end United will say uh, quite a, a, a huge like gap. Twelve points. It was yeah. twelve points before we went to Old Trafford or something like crazy like that. Yeah, and then all of a sudden. Because I, I, uh, I don't have the journalist's name, of course, to mind, but there was one article when it went through, when it started into 98, I think it was January or February, or could be February already, when the, the article was running down the lines of, you know, the, the, the hunter can hear the prey breathing already. So it's like, you know, like we're closing in on United. Because... The way the, the guy wrote the story, I mean, I found it was brilliant. And it's almost like the way he was, like, you know, building up to almost like the end of the season, he was also building up to how eventual hunt is going to take place. And it's like, you know, every time, you know, United was stumbling. And look, us as Arsenal fans, we were just waiting every time watching United games just to see some, you know, whether it's a draw or, you know, a, a defeat, which is even golden for us then. Or if they would, uh, you know, go on a winning, like they would win a game, we'd rather switch the TV off and walk out. Then, yes, but but leading up to that, and and just the the manner in which Arsenal put teams to the sword, leading up to to that, not only that showdown, but after that as well, we had almost like you know putting their foot down on the accelerator, and by the time they now you know wrapped up the title, of course there came a couple of shockers in afterwards. Yeah, you know, the 4-0 against Liverpool, yeah. and then that one uh, 1-0 against Villa, and then Dwight Yorkie, that cheeky chip as a penalty. Yeah, but. You know, the, the, the job was done and that, and I think you know, the, the, it was like the players having wrapped up the title, their minds already switching to the FA Cup final already. So, you know, it was like everything in between was just, you know, nothing, it didn't bother them really. But for me, yeah, that was the, the crown to it all. Because if you think of it, like for me as an Arsenal fan, the last league title, uh, title I saw was 91. Yeah. And 
to have that drought, and of course, we have the domestic cups and, and uh, the you know, that European uh, Cup Winners' Cup trophy. But then, of course, there was still that drought, and there was so much confusion also with, uh, you know, George Graham sacking, and not only Bruce Rioch then taking over, but also not really warming himself to the fans, and the fans were really growing on to him as a player. And as David Dean used to say, he found Bruce Rioch, you know, even though he was a very professional appointment, he was a very cold person because one thing I'll never forget, I don't know if it was one of the books I read from the Arsenal players where uh, David Dean said, like, he would sometimes, you know, he'd be probably late at the stadium still doing stuff at Ibury. And then he would look out of the window and then he would see George Graham just sitting alone in the stadium. I was like, you could, you, know, you could see, like, a former player also taking it all in again, even as manager now. Yeah. And I think that is also that always what he told me, also by attachment to says I'm like George Graham, but then that that aside, now either as the, the the years then went on, and you're actually wondering, you're telling yourself, are we going to win it again? Are we going to win it? And then, of course, you know, with Wenger coming in, and every, of course, the media went on, uh, you know, crazy like Wenger, who, or Arsene, who. And I mean, of course, I didn't know, like, you know, we here, we are pointing somebody that they had like some sort of stint at Monaco, wasn't that much, you know, you didn't know yeah. him as a player. And, then, of course, it was not a few years at, at Krampus 8 in, in Japan. And I was thinking, is that now the direction to go? And maybe that is how I was thinking the way you were thinking about, say, after <laughs> the beginning. That, is, that was my roughly estimate of myself then. Yeah, and, and the, the thing about that season as well, I just, you know, it was a like, tough season coming back from behind. And, you know, we could have also added another we were almost close to a domestic treble if you think about it that where we just lost out we beat Chelsea in the first leg of the um, Carling Cup or whatever it was called back then um, and then we lost that second leg just, just like you know we were very close to to actually getting the job done of a domestic treble and it would have been a remarkable even more remarkable season that happened but you know, we can only wish those glory days come back and we, we can discuss which title do we enjoy did we enjoy winning more. Yeah, that's true. And also, yeah, one more question also, sorry. Your FA Cup finals, you know, we've we've been a lot for you. Which which FA Cup final stands out to you that you watched and and we've taken? I think that one that the recent one against Chelsea. Because I ne- you know, I've watched FA Cup finals and, and you know, Old City. You saw that game, you know, two down, and then you thought to yourself also, you know, if you, deep down whether you're Arsenal fan or not, you knew, I mean, even Curtis Davis also said they scored too early in that game. And I just thought to myself, without the Nestor in our you know, goal-scoring prowess, we would, you know, get the game somehow. I didn't expect that sort of dramatics, but I did expect us to win. And then, of course, Aston Villa was, you know, a one-way tournament yeah. for us. Uh, but for me, I think Chelsea took you know, we were really hungry for, for even more success because things were also not going really well in, in the uh, Premier League. And, you know, at, uh, I don't know how you were feeling at that time. I mean, I'll also bounce it back to you. You know, at the end of that game, I actually felt like I was in a, some sort of workout or something. My body felt now like lame because, look, with Ramsey scoring, you're also worried, you know, do Charles go after at the end and look, We've been talking about this for ages now since we've been doing the podcast about the, you know, sometimes other things can just flip us just like that. We, we, the team will go the other end and score or put us under, you know, massive, massive threat. But, you know, that, when that full time whistle went up, because it got to a stage also in that game 
you know, after Ramsey scored, I didn't even want to look at the clock in the corner because I was just thinking to myself, just go on. And, you know, one minute you see when Tinder scores 1-1, for you the time then looks like it's going too, far, too fast. And then when we go 2-1 up, then it starts looking like the time is going too slow. And you're thinking, yeah. why is this clock not ticking fast? <laughs> I think Jerus like impact immediately the moment he came on. You know, he for Walbeck he he set up um, Ramsey. Yeah. Almost like almost very closely after Chelsea scored, Arsenal almost replied. And I mean, I think one other uh, FA Cup final that also already sits deep, you know, in me as an Arsenal fan is the one where we played Sheffield Wednesday. We had took like a replay to <laughs> get the job done, and I'll never forget it. Was like. I think it was a midweek where they had to do the re- force the replay. Because look at the, the FA Cup final was like sa- the Saturday. And then because of the, the 1 1 result at Wembley, it was now, you know, to be replayed, I think the Wednesday or Thursday, I'm not sure. And, you know, the minute we go ahead, and, and of course the the game gets pulled again back to 1 1 and stuff like that. And then when Andy Lennigan scores, yeah. that, that decides. You know that was, that was the sort of feeling I felt when with the Ramsey goal also that way you just feel that that euphoria inside of like and that, that tenseness is finally like <laughs> so you're not that tight and tense anymore. Uh, good good explanation. I'm like I, I I don't remember that at all. I was still a, a, like a little baby, but uh, I, I do recall watching the highlights package back in the day on that old video cassette that you had of over the seasons from like. 1989 till like 97, 98 or 19, 8, 99. So yeah, I remember Lenigan's that powerful header. It was the header that he scored. Yeah, yeah. just water that went through things. Yeah, and then the guy still kicked it up into the roof of the net, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, that, when I look at that sort of that attitude also of the play, I mean, that, in that game, that Lenigan had dislocated his finger, he had a broken nose. Yeah. Still pops up to the heading, uh, you know, he did go to school. These days, the player will be asked immediately <laughs> to be stopped. <laughs> that's true. So, you had anything else to ask? Or... No, that's, that's, that's it. That's it. Okay. So, guys, hope you guys have a fantastic weekend. I mean, if you're really hungry for football, Bundesliga is out there already starting the weekend. Take care. Enjoy. Bye. Cheers, guys. Have a good one.